So today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14. Now we've been in a study in the book of Deuteronomy, watching God rescue his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and bring them through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And as we've said time and time again, you're probably getting annoyed of hearing it, the book of Deuteronomy was written to the second generation It was in the wilderness just before they're about to head into the promised land. And two weeks ago, we talked about idolatry, how God forbade his people to commit idolatrous acts. And we predominantly looked at that from the perspective of us being idol factories. As human beings, we are constantly creating idols. We're following our desires and we're exchanging that which is good, that is God-given, and we are exchanging those things for what we want. And so we looked at idolatry from a very human perspective, but there's also a very spiritual side to it, and we're going to see that today. You may have seen it in the news. A few weeks ago, there was a situation on a movie set where Alec Baldwin was filming this cowboy movie. Uh, He was handed a gun. It had a live round in it. He fired it, and it ended up wounding one person and killing another. Now, people like to bicker online about whose fault it is and who was responsible and what should and shouldn't have happened in that situation. But I think it's a good illustration in that objects that are dangerous are way more dangerous when you don't know they're dangerous. A gun is far more dangerous when you don't know that it's a loaded live gun versus a prop gun on a set or like electrical sockets, right? As adults, we know You don't go shoving metal objects into electrical sockets, right? Yes, we know that we shouldn't do this. As a kid, uh, that's all I wanted to do, was put car keys into sockets, okay? Because doesn't it look like it's just gonna fit perfectly? Now that would be really bad, that'd be very dangerous, but I didn't recognize the danger, why? Because I was a child. And today we're gonna talk about something dangerous and hopefully That will cause many of us to fear such things, to stay away from such things. And hopefully this is a day of freedom for some of you that have experienced the negative side effects and consequences of such activities. Here's the main idea today. There is a real demonic danger behind occultic practices. There's a real demonic danger behind occultic practices. Now, we live in a very naturalistic, materialistic culture where many of the people around us don't believe that there's a supernatural. They don't believe that there are supernatural powers or higher powers. They believe that all that exists is the dirt around us and the stuff we can touch and feel and see. And we kind of see that like last week with Halloween, right? So many people are pretending to be witches and ghosts, and for them, it's nothing more than make-believe. But the occult is a real force in our culture, the occult, um, referring to all these different practices around secret knowledge and hidden knowledge and power. 2% of Mainers, 2% of Mainers identify as New Age, Pagan, or Wiccan. That's a, that's a pretty large number if you think about it. One out of every 50 people that you know in the state of Maine would, in a survey, 
not just dabbling on the side, but would in a survey recognize that my primary religion is New Age, pagan, Wiccan, something like that. I had an article pop up on my newsfeed of a normal outdoor site that posts normal articles about hunting and fishing and camping and things like that. And this article that popped up on my newsfeed about two weeks ago was an article on how witchcraft can enhance your enjoyment of the outdoors. Very casually. Just normal outdoor site, just like this is any other camping tip. For those of you that use the popular app TikTok, uh, there's a hashtag called Witch Talk. And so that's a section of the site where young people will teach each other how to cast spells and they will do tarot card readings. It has over 2 billion views. 2 billion views. This is something that's rising very quickly and rapidly among young people. If you search witchcraft books on Amazon that are released within the past 90 days, you will find thousands of hits. That is that there have been thousands of books published and released on Amazon within the past 90 days. This is something that our culture is becoming more and more fascinated with. It's nothing new. In fact, it's something very old, and we're going to see that in the text today. Even Ed's Grove, and I love Ed's Grove, all right? Whenever I want to do visitation as a pastor, I just go to Ed's Grove and wander around long enough, and I'll find you, all right? I've, I've seen so many of you in Ed's Grove. I shop there way too much. But even Ed's Grove has, from time to time, sold magic crystals and tarot cards. This is a reality in our community and so let's pray as we get into the text today. Lord, thank you that we can gather here. I pray for protection, Lord, that you protect us from spiritual forces that are opposing your reign. Thank you that we know that you are stronger, you are greater. But help us to be aware of the darkness so that we can help others and that we can avoid these practices. Lord, I pray for those here that have dabbled in these things, that they would find help and repentance. And Lord, I pray that the heaviness of this topic would not overshadow the joy of our fellowship afterwards. And just seeing what you've done in the past year of this church and what you're going to do in 2022. Holy Spirit, may these words be yours and not my own. Please open our hearts. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So if you're not already there, please turn to Deuteronomy 18, verses 19 through 14. So here is God, through Moses, instructing his Old Testament people, Israel, in the wilderness. Starting in verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you are about to dispossess listen to fortune tellers and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So here we see another instance of God saying, hey, when you enter the promised land, 
when you take over these nations, when you push them out, here's some practices that they do, and you are not to pick those up. You are not to continue these traditions of theirs, continue these practices. And these ones are specifically referred to as abominable practices. This is a heavy term. This is not light terminology. These are an abomination in the Lord's eyes. And what's the first one we have here? Well, we talked about this two weeks ago. But the first one in verse 10 is child sacrifice. And as we talked about two weeks ago, we know through archaeology and also what the Old Testament tells us is there were pagans at this time that would sacrifice their children to a god named Molech. Right? And this is a despicable, horrible thing. It makes us churn in our stomach with rage when we hear something like that. And we might even say, well, like, that's not really present in our culture, and it isn't in the same way. But do we not live in a society that sacrifices babies on the altar of convenience? And in fact, the Satanist church in America uses a ritual to get around abortion laws. They actually have abortion as part of one of their rituals. So this isn't too far off from reality. So that's child sacrifice. And then it mentions divination, which is trying to get unknown information, new information through supernatural or spiritual means. And so one of the most common ones that people around here uh, might have dabbled in is a Ouija board, right? It's presented as a board game. Even Hasbro produces these. But it's a way of trying to contact other entities to receive information. People also use dousing rods or throw bones and try to interpret the symbols there or trying to get a yes or no answer for different decisions in life. And these are not people that are trying to seek God's truth or even listen to the Holy Spirit, but are seeking an answer from unknown sources. Sources that we'll get more into in a bit. Then it talks about fortune telling. And we're not talking about those little slips of paper you find in Chinese food, okay? not telling you never go to Chinese food again, okay? Those are made in a factory somewhere. But these are people that are trying to tell you information about your life. What kind of job are you going to get? Who are you going to marry? Much of the occult revolves around trying to get power, trying to have experiences, and trying to receive knowledge, hidden knowledge, secret knowledge. It talks in here about sorcery. These would be people who practice divination, who try to get supernatural information, seances, crystal ball gazing, drugs for altered states of consciousness, spirit guides, and even spell casting. And once again, for many of us, for many of you sitting right here, you might be saying, what is this guy talking about? Okay, we don't live in Lord of the Rings. But this is a reality in our community. I was down on the um, Indian Cellar Trail, mushroom foraging one day, and there was someone who was probably Wiccan or practiced witchcraft, and they had done a ritual under a mushroom, right? This is a reality in our community. I picked the mushroom because I wanted the mushroom, but it's a reality that people are doing these abominable acts, sorcery, necromancy, and mediums. These are people who try to talk to the dead, communicate with the dead. And God said that he was pushing these people out because they were doing these things because they were doing these things. So God tells them not to do them. He tells his chosen people not to commit these acts. Why? 
Well, we'll get into that. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. I'm just going to summarize the situation, and then we might kind of peek at a couple verses there, but I want you to know it's in your Bible. Go back and read it yourself. Make sure that I'm portraying the story in a correct manner. So this story takes place after God's people have come into the promised land, they've had a period of chaos, and they finally have a king. And Saul wasn't a great king, but he's not definitely the worst king that Israel ever had, but he was rebellious. And he often just went his own way rather than seeking God's way. And so God said that he was going to tear the kingdom from him and give it to a new king he anointed, King David. And Saul found himself in a pickle that God stopped talking to him. There were a variety of means that these kings were allowed to communicate with God through the Urim and the Thummim, through the priestly order, and through prophets. And of course, the law of God. And when it came to these more, I guess, supernatural means where a prophet could give advice directly from God to the king, it dried up. God wasn't talking to Saul anymore. And Saul was looking for answers. And it says in verse 3 that Samuel had died. Samuel was the chief of the prophets. He was an amazing man of God, and he had died and Saul had, in faithfulness to God, had tried to get rid of all the mediums and the sorcerers in the land. But in verses 6 and 7, it says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. We can see it right there, the quest for knowledge. Saul had pushed these people out of the land, but now he wanted to know something that wasn't being given to him, and so he was willing to turn to an alternate source. And so he disguises himself. He goes to this medium, or some of your translations might say, which. And he went with a little party, and he asked the woman, in verse 8, divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? And Saul goes, hey, no, I'm, no harm will come to you. I swear by it. No harm will come to you. I'm not trying to trap you. I honestly want you to bring up someone from the dead. And the woman asks, well, who do you want? He says, bring up Samuel for me in verse 11. And this is where it gets real. This is where it gets interesting. In verse 12, it says, When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. This is really interesting. A medium is someone who has a familiar spirit. They have an evil spirit that will portray a dead person upon request. So this woman is used to deceiving people all the time, that she can do this, whatever practice she had, she could bring up this familiar spirit that would then portray a dead person and provide hidden knowledge, and this person would be like, oh, this is awesome, and pay them. This is still a practice that goes on today. But when 
this situation occurs, she freaks out. Now, why does she freak out? Because Samuel is actually coming up. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. Normally, there's supposed to be this deceptive spirit that does its thing. But Samuel is actually coming up. She loses it. She screams with a loud voice. And so Samuel comes up and basically tells Saul, yeah, you're going to die tomorrow. You're going to go into battle. You're going to die. And your sons are going to die with you. It's not a pretty story. It's not a particularly enjoyable story. But here we can see how Saul's pursuit of knowledge led him to do something he knew he should not do. And in this instance, God supernaturally inter- he supernaturally kind of steps in and Samuel actually comes up from the dead and it freaks out the medium because that's not supposed to happen. That wasn't supposed to happen. We see a similar instance in Acts chapter 16. I'm not going to go there, but in Acts chapter 16, you can write that down, there's a slave girl who was telling people their fortunes, following around Paul and Silas when they were missionaries. And eventually, Paul cast the demon out of that girl, and then she wasn't able to tell fortunes anymore. And her owners got very upset because then they were out of money. Much that's in the occult presents a reality that does not exist. Much of it is deceptive. Much of it, I would say, much of it that is not of human origin, that is not just pure charlatanism, it's fueled by demons. That's the picture we see in Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. This is a passage I wanted to get into two weeks ago, and we didn't have time for it when we were talking about idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 22. Previously, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to a church, and he's instructed them around this issue of meat that was offered to idols. Because meat was used in a lot of these pagan ceremonies, in temple worship, but then some of that meat would end up being sold on the open market. And Paul made the point, he's like, look, if your conscience is against it, you should not be eating that. Otherwise, it's just meat. Don't be too worried about whether or not the meat in the marketplace was sacrificed to an idol. But here we see the opposite side of that. Because some people were taking it way too far, and that they were actually saying, well, since idols are just stone, and there's only one God, I can go to the temple and I can get myself a barbecue. I can go to the temple and I can engage in all the ceremony and practices there without any negative results. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. 
What I do imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything, no. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? First of all, there's some awesome content in here about communion, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. And so we'll get back to this text in a bit. But the point that Paul is making, he says, look, when you celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, when you take that cup and when you take that bread and you celebrate the Lord's death with other believers, there is a spiritual reality behind that. There's a spiritual reality. You are sitting down at the table of the living God. And as Christians, we can celebrate in that, that when we celebrate communion together, we are sitting down at the table of the living God in remembrance. And then he goes back into the Old Testament. He says, look, there were priests in God's temple. And these priests were allowed to eat of some of the sacrifices. And for them, that was an act of worship, to eat of those sacrifices. They were participating with the living God. But he says, look, when you go into a pagan temple and you participate in those activities, you are participating with demons. And he says, you can't eat at those two tables. You can't sit down at God's table and the table of demons. It doesn't work that way. Do not provoke the Lord to jealousy. So here we see that there is a spiritual reality behind ritual. For Christians, it's a beautiful reality. But behind pagan worship, there is a dark reality. There is a real demonic danger behind occultic practices. And the power, knowledge, and experiences they promise are never worth it. I have an illustration. A lot of us have a smartphone, right? A lot of us use social media. At the very least, many of us watch TV. But technology like this and software like social media, what did it promise us? It promised us knowledge. Right? that I can Google whatever I want right now, and I can find it out. I mean, think of the information that is at my fingertips right now. It's incredible. I could find most of your houses right now on Google Maps. Right? Like technology that was reserved for world governments, like, you know, 100 years ago, or didn't even exist 100 years ago, we can now have for free, sort of. Because nothing's really free, is it? So it offers us knowledge, it offers us power, right? That I can contact people wherever I want. And I can organize my day really well with different alarms. And I can get a little wrist thing that has my pulse and matches my steps, right? And I can have experiences. Social media, phones, they promise a ton of entertainment. And yet, when we fully go down the rabbit hole, Right? And I have a phone with me right now, so I'm not preaching against phones and social media right now. We use a lot of that. But when we really go down the rabbit hole on those things and try to pursue that knowledge and pursue that power and pursue the connectivity and everything that that promises, 
Who's running our lives? It's not us. We think it is, but it's not. You get an advertisement for a restaurant, you go, wow, that's a really good restaurant. I should go there. It looks good. You get in your car, you go. This thing tracks you the whole way, and Google knows, hey, that ad worked. That all the content you see when you pull up YouTube or Facebook or even news sites, it's curated to who you are. There's an algorithm that figures out what you like, what makes you angry, what makes you sad, what makes you happy. And it is going to twist that to generate the most ad revenue and even maybe try to adjust you more this way or adjust you more this way. You see, when we pursue that knowledge and that power and those experiences, we lose control. Those companies are in control. The algorithm is in control. And that's just an illustration because it's way worse with the occult because when we engage in those activities, demons are in control. Demons are in control. Jeff Durbin is a pastor of a church out in Arizona. He's an apologist. He says this. He says, when God calls something an abomination, you don't play with it. When God calls something an abomination, you don't play with it. So then why do people play with these things? Why do people dabble in these practices? Well, one of the reasons Dr. Walter Martin gets into and he makes the point that in a materialistic culture, in a culture where people have rejected God, there's a vacuum in the soul because we were made for relationship with our creator. We were made to be satisfied in relationship with the living God. And so if we do not have that in our lives, there's an emptiness there that we're looking to fill. And he says this, and I've just not gotten over how eerie this is, but he says, and Satan stands ready to supply that reality. In a culture full of people who have a, a God-shaped hole in their heart, so to speak, Satan is ready and eager to fill that with something else so that they do not pursue relationship with God. And one of the ways he does that is through the occult. It's interesting, there was a recent series of studies and, and hype around some of these psychoactive substances that are becoming popular again and trying to use them in medicine and uh, there's all sorts of stuff on the internet about it. But one of the things that, that a fairly prominent person was mentioning is that in these studies, people who took these ceased to fear death because they would have these spiritual experiences and these are non-spiritual, non-religious people having spiritual experiences under the influence of these substances and then they would cease to fear death. That's the work of the enemy. He wins if we don't fear death and never get reconciled to our creator before we die. That's not for our good. And even for us as Christians, we may be tempted to pursue experience because what we experience in church doesn't feel real. Many people who wander into these things Say, well, look, Christianity just seemed powerless to me. Because very often, to be real, we get freaked out by the Holy Spirit. And so we don't really engage in the ways that God wants to work powerfully in our community. And so very often, Christianity can appear powerless, when in reality it isn't. 
But to summarize it more succinctly, here are three points on why the occult is dangerous. Point number one, experience does not equal truth. Experience does not equal truth. Second Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan dis- disguises himself as an angel of light. So many cults and religions have been started by one experience that contradicted God's word. One angel, one dream, one visitation. If you talk to the Mormons in our community, there aren't a ton of them, but there are some. A devout Mormon will say, well, I was told to pray. If Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, that the Book of Mormon is God's word, and they received what? They received a burning in the bosom. They received a spiritual experience. That you can even discuss with a Mormon truth and logic and get them to a point where they recognize that what they believe is faulty, but they'll say, but I had an experience. But experience doesn't equal truth. People all around the world in tons of different religions have weird experiences. We cannot build our life off of a single seemingly supernatural experience. It doesn't matter if the horoscope was accurate. That does not mean that the source that gave you that information is good and is looking out for your good. Just because there is power does not mean there is truth present in that situation. This is a common one. It's it's all too, it's sadly common for even Christians to lose a loved one and then go to a medium because they want to receive one last message from grandma. They want to know they're okay. They want to know they're safe. And even if that message is comforting, even that message seems like it came from grandma, that doesn't mean that that the source behind that is good. It's a representation of truth. It doesn't validate it. Once again, demons want us to not fear death. And for most Americans, that looks like distraction, where we just don't think about death. We put the graveyard really far away, and we just distract ourselves with media. But another tool in the enemy's hand is to give us experiences that present a fantasy world of the supernatural where the spirits of our departed are all floating around and you can talk to them whenever you want and they're all in a better place no matter how they lived. And this is a deception. A deception that the occult offers. We need truth to interpret our experiences. Because if religions all around the world have all had different experiences, Buddhist monks over here and Mormons over here and occultists over here, They can't all be right. We have to discern truth claims. And once we find what is true through logic and discernment, then we use that truth as a lens to view our experiences. We use God's word as a lens to view our experiences, not the other way around. So point one, experience does not equal truth. And point two, we know where spiritual power comes from and where the dead go. We know where spiritual power comes from and where the dead go. And to sum it up briefly, there is no middle ground. There is no neutral. There's not some field of energy that you can tap into and anyone's just going to let you do whatever you want with that. Scripture makes it very clear from the beginning to the end. There's a living God and his angels 
And then there's Satan and his fallen angels. Angels and demons. That is where spiritual power comes from, one or the other. And on top of that, we know where the dead go. As Christians, the promise is for us that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? And when we die, we get to be in the presence of our Creator, and one day we'll get a new body at the resurrection. But for those who do not believe, it's torment. We have the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus said that he gave to us. is one of two places. There's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's no soul field. There's no other realm. There's heaven and there is hell. And that is a reality that we have to face. Experience does not equal truth. We know where spiritual power comes from and where the dead go. And thirdly, Satan does not have our best in mind. He does not have your best in mind. Just go back to Genesis 3. In the garden, right? Adam and Eve, the first two human beings living in perfect harmony with God. Perfect relationship with God. And the enemy Satan slithers between the bushes. He deceives Eve and Adam willingly rebels with her. Now, Satan didn't come in with a big robe and big clouds of thunder, right? Like some sort of Disney villain. How did Satan come in? He came in deceptively. And what did he promise Eve? He promised her knowledge. God's holding out on you. God just knows when you eat this, you'll you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. And she saw that it could make her wise. She took it and she ate This is Satan's allure, that we would seek hidden knowledge that would destroy us. Because of that event, we face sickness, we face death, we face sin every single day. The most messed up parts of our life are due to this one event. And yet some people think, even some Christians might think, that they can utilize the tools of the enemy for their own personal good. And it ain't going to work out that way. It didn't work out for Eve. It isn't going to work out for you. Satan does not have our best in mind. There's a real demonic danger behind occultic practices. And I know from pastoral experience that there are always people in church that have dabbled in these things and are experiencing demonization and oppression from them. Some of you may have lost someone, and rather than turn to God's word and God's people for comfort, you visited a medium. Some of you neglect prayer and yet practice Eastern meditation. Some of you, rather than pray over your children who have nightmares, have placed dream catchers over their beds. Some of you, rather than ask the elders to lay hands on you, have begun practicing Reiki, crystals, or other occultic practices to find healing. Some of you, rather than seek God's revealed knowledge, have pursued hidden knowledge. The temptation is real. And the response is plain. It's to confess and repent and be prayed for. To confess and repent and be prayed for. We see this in Acts 19. The people in that city, as they began to trust in the gospel and believe God's word, They divulged their practices. They confessed what they were doing as sin, 
And then they took all of the artifacts and all of the pieces that they had that were part of those rituals and these practices, and they burned them. They burned them. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like turning from our sin and turning towards God and blowing up the mountain behind us so we don't turn back. Confess, repent, and then prayer. We need God's power to free us. I've counseled Christians who took substances to contact the dead once and received um, the effects of demons, or who welcomed occultic objects into their life and experienced those unfortunate dark circumstances. They had blurry and obstructed thoughts, fits of violence, voices in their heads, and God was faithful to deliver them. When they confessed those, they repented, and they received prayer, lots of prayer. So I encourage you, if there's anyone out here who's struggling with these activities, who's dabbled in these, please talk to me. We want to be able to help you find healing at the hands of the living God. We want you to be free. These are not things that we should mess around in. They are abominations in God's eyes. So let's pray, and then we'll get into communion. Lord, thank you for your word. You are our creator and you want what's best for us. And very often we think that we can have a loophole here and a shortcut here and, and we can play with fire and not be burned. We all do that, Lord. We're all sinners. So thank you for the forgiveness you offer through your son. Pray that this would be a day of repentance and belief that you be glorified. Help us to remember your sacrifice today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you turn with me, if you have turned back, we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And you also want to open your capsule and take out your wafer. And I want to make this point before we get into it. And I would confess as a pastor, I don't do this enough when I present communion. Paul says, as an apostle filled with the Holy Spirit, writing, God's inspired word that you cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. That there's a spiritual reality behind what we're about to do together. And it's a beautiful reality. Um, but communion is not for those who are unbelievers because you're trying to sit at a table that you currently are not welcome to. Now God's invitation is open to believe in and accept him, to trust him. But this is a cup for believers to celebrate the table of our God. And on top of that, we cannot be engaging in these practices and yet waltz right up to God's table. So please discern that uh, amongst yourselves before you take this. But for those of us that do believe, enjoy the blessings of God. It says this, the bread that we break 
Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. And I think this is an instance where it's kind of a shame that we have these little wafers. Because there's something very symbolic about taking one loaf and breaking that amongst believers gathered together because we are one body. That Christ, through his body being broken for us on the cross, those who trust in him are brought into the body of Christ, and we are one body together. So let's take this in remembrance of him. Lord, thank you for your body. We are rebels and we are sinners. That without your work would be facing judgment. But yet you took our sins upon yourself on the cross. So that when we trust in you, you adopt us as sons and daughters. That we find family. And so thank you that we are part of the body of Christ. We can rejoice today in that. Amen. Now going back to verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? So when we do this, we recognize that we have received the blessing of Christ's blood. And the scripture says, he's the propitiation for our sins. He was the payment. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven of our sins. We are cleansed from them. So let's do this in remembrance of Christ and his blood. Oh, Lord, thank you for the blessing of your sacrifice. Thank you for the unity that you give the church, that we live in a fallen world full of conflicts and divisions. And Lord, we've experienced many of those as your body. Thank you that today we get to gather together and hear from your word. We get to gather together and sing your praises. We get to gather together and fellowship together over food. And so I pray that you'd bless that. And you'd, you'd bless our discussion around next year. Help us to honor you as your church. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.